This is Kevin Lavelle, and you're listening to Founders 15. You know what the world needs? Another business podcast. Well, actually, maybe it does. See, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, many of which were truly great. I learned a lot and had takeaways that changed my business or personal life. But I often noticed there was no commonality between the interviews as they were wide-ranging, so it was harder to tease out themes between them. I launched Mizzen in Maine to bring advanced performance fabrics to traditional menswear. So just like deciding the world needed a better dress shirt when everyone said it was crazy, I decided to launch Founders 15. Founders 15 is a unique new discussion experience distinct in three specific ways. The conversations will be founder to founder, eliciting an enlightening back and forth of two people with an overlap rarely found in other interviews. In my position as founder of Mizzen in Maine, I've gotten to have extraordinary conversations with other founders, and I know that there are takeaways that a lot of people would benefit from. So episodes will also feature the same 15 main questions in each podcast, helping bring a continuity to these discussions with appropriate probing on key themes as they develop throughout the interview. Perhaps most distinctively, I'm focused primarily on founders building something right now, and not just the billion dollar unicorns that get the headlines every day. These interviews feature real people building real businesses today. Business titans from years ago offer much to learn from, but my focus is on those in the heart of their journey to build something great. To keep things particularly interesting, I'll also be interviewing a few well-known athletes and coaches, founders in their own right, to gain additional insight and inspiration as to what it takes to achieve greatness. Would love to hear any feedback anytime. I'm on Twitter at Kevin S. Lavelle, and I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I've enjoyed having them. I'm not sure there's a much better place to record a podcast live than a secret whiskey room showcasing a founder's best whiskeys from around the world at a distillery that is located on a private golf course. Let's just say this was a fun setting and the conversation lived up to the location. I met Leonard Firestone right when I launched Mizzen in Maine. He was just launching TX Whiskey at that time as the first product of Firestone and Robertson, the company he started with his co-founder. While he was just launching that specific whiskey, the reality was it had been in process for years because of the time it took to get all of the appropriate pieces in place, then distill the whiskey, then put it in barrels, then bottle it. This conversation covered a wide range of topics that offer a lot to learn from, especially the courage and audacity that Leonard and his business partner had with zero experience in the industry, the capital requirements, the lead times, and the difficulty of the spirits market. Imagine everything on the line. You haven't even started selling your first product and you start your second product line that will take several years more before you see a dime from it. That's just what they did in pushing forward with TX Bourbon before they'd started to see sales from TX Whiskey. It's no surprise if you've met Leonard or Troy that their whiskey and bourbon started getting waitlists from restaurants and retail locations and even thousands of people showing up to the distillery to get a chance to get one of those first bottles. Say hello on Instagram at FR Distilling. Stop by their distillery located on a private golf course or pick up a bottle wherever it's sold. I'm not sure if I have to say this legally or not, but maybe you have to be over 21 or older to listen. Maybe, maybe not, but check your local laws and then enjoy this conversation with Leonard Firestone. 
so I've had a, a really fun morning because I got to actually go on a tour of a distillery. Um, it's only actually it's almost noon, so we could probably start drinking, but we're not <laughs> drinking yet. And I'm sitting in a absolutely beautiful secret passageway room um, staring at probably 200 bottles of some of the world's finest bourbon and whiskey and rye. And um, this is all because I am out here at Whiskey Ranch uh, at the headquarters of Firestone and Robertson, where uh, they make TX whiskey and TX bourbon. And I'm sitting here with Leonard Firestone. Leonard, thanks for having me out. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to uh, see you again, Kevin. Absolutely. And um, uh, we now have uh, some years behind us as uh, we started our companies. But uh, it's great to to be together and, and talk about what uh, we're doing. Yeah. And our first interaction was right around the time that we both started our companies. Yeah. Um, and you still have that original location in, next to downtown Fort Worth. Yep. Um, but we're out at your new amazing headquarters and we'll talk about that in a second, but just to give some people some context, um, share a little bit about who you are as a person mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. what we're doing, you know, sitting out here in this amazing distillery. Yeah. So, um, you know, Troy and myself, we both, I think, in starting the distillery, uh, came from it, uh, inspired to follow a passion and a hobby in a way, um, and certainly a a real uh, appreciation for whiskeys that are produced around the world. And, uh, you know, I, I came from a completely different industry before I got into uh, um, the distilling industry. And I was in the communications, television, um, cable television, broadcast television uh, industry and uh, had started a company back in 2001. Uh, ended up selling it in 2007. And, um, you know, I was kind of looking for the next thing that I wanted to do. Uh, I, I was still working at the company, but um, uh, I don't know, when it, when it's not yours, it just wasn't the same anymore. So, um, you know, it was interesting in looking back at um, really what inspired me to do this. And, you know, there was a, a couple moments. Uh, one that I can remember distinctly was was there was a uh, article on Tito. Uh, Tito Beverage makes Tito Vodka, Tito's Vodka that uh, I think most people know these days. And uh, it was an article in the Times, uh, Sunday Times. And um, I thought, oh my gosh, um, th this is interesting, a Texas vodka. And I was a whiskey, bourbon kind of uh, consumer. And I thought, I wonder if anyone's doing a whiskey uh, if there's a distillery or, or anything in, in Texas. And is that because you were a big whiskey guy personally? Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. A hundred percent. And, um, Googled that did, you know, quickly and discovered at that time, and this was now probably 2008, nobody was. And that was really a light bulb moment for me of, um, getting interested in a new business and, um, the more I started to look into it, the more it made sense to me. Um, so, um, you know, just further context, um, you know, Troy and I started the company in 2010. Um, and uh, we had an, an interesting path in getting the company going because uh, he came from the oil and gas uh, industry and mm -hmm. I came from, as I mentioned, uh, the uh, television industry. So we, we had to raise money, um, ended up, um, you know, working on a business plan for about a year, wow. uh, which was very important. Um, 
but what year was this? That the this was uh, 2009. Okay. Um, so we went out on the road 2010 uh, to raise money. And, you know, I can't even tell you how many people just slammed the door in our face. Uh, here were guys, two guys that uh, on the tail end of the recession, trying to raise money, had never been in the industry, had never made anything, produced, distilled, any of it, uh, created a brand. Um, and we were asking people for money to help support us. So that took a lot longer than uh, we anticipated. But uh, in the end, we got it done. And, you know, I think one reason we got it done, uh, other than some friends and family support, but uh, we had to go to other people as well, was we spent the time on our business plan, as I mentioned. I mean, I, we were so thorough. And so we had every question answered, we felt like, uh, as best you can with the business plan, of course. Um, but, you know, what we heard afterwards as well was people saw how passionate we were about um, what we wanted to do and why we wanted to do it. Okay, and so you are, what was the year that you launched again? Uh, so we started the company in 2010. Yep. Took us two years to get a product into the market. Right, right. So you are now eight and nine years in. Yep. Um, and you've got 60 people out here today. Is yep. that correct? 60 people. Um, and we're meeting at a golf course. <laughs> so um, uh, that doesn't today have any pins. Right. But uh, right. what's going on with the golf course? So it's, um, you know, when we decided to scale the business and we still operate from our original distillery, which is in downtown Fort Worth, 40,000 square foot building, um, we... Our, our product was received so favorably, so quickly. Uh, it's one of the just, you know, amazing things in our experience that um, uh, I think we both um, continually, um, you know, feel really privileged by, uh, honestly. But um, the, the growth um, came from our realization that we had something that people really liked, a product that people really liked. And we realized we've got to scale the business. And um, in the whiskey business, when you're, uh, you've got to create a plant, which takes time, obviously, and then make the whiskey, age the whiskey, we're looking, honestly, um, five to 10 years out. And um, so we started that process. And what we needed was property. Uh, and we needed the acreage to build what are called rickhouses, where you store the, the barrels to age. Um, and so we didn't, uh, we weren't out looking for a golf course, but we were looking for, for land. And we had ideas of kind of doing a ranch concept. So we were looking in and around Fort Worth. We mm -hmm. wanted to, to be here, of course, because that's, this is home for us. Um, but quickly discovered that getting a piece of land an hour out of town, an hour out of town, uh, would be really um, cost prohibitive to bring in all the utilities that would be required to to run uh, a distillery. So it took us about nine months uh, ultimately to land where we are, and we only did that by the fact that I was on a real estate uh, search engine uh, looking at properties, frustrated. It had been about nine months. And um, I came across this property called a golf course called Glen Garden, uh, Glen Garden Country Club. 
and uh, uh, five miles from downtown Fort Worth, uh, 112 acres. So I'm, I'm reading this on the site, walk into Troy's office, and I was like, hey, man, do you, you have you ever heard of Glen Garden? He's like, yeah, sure, I've played out there. It's like, did you know it was for sale? He's like, no, you got to be kidding. So um, we got in the car, drove over here, uh, convinced the pro to give us a, a golf cart uh, to drive the property, uh, which we did. And, and it was a functioning golf course. Functioning golf course, yep. yeah. Um, and it's got an extraordinary history, uh, which I'll tell you about. But um, we we got out here and thought, man, this is it. Just just like our experience downtown when mm-hmm. we walked into that building, as a, a bad a shape as it was was in, because nobody had been in it in probably thirty years. We we're like, this is it. We got to resurrect it. We got to, we, there's a, there's an opportunity here. Had the same feeling with this property. Um, and then only came to learn um, that the property has an extraordinary history. Um, it was built in 1912 as the second golf course in Fort Worth. But um, most uh, uniquely was where Ben Hogan and Byron Nelson grew up uh, learning how to play golf and caddying. Um, and these are two iconic global golf figures mm-hmm. and they um you know they're from the dirt we're we're um you know standing on yeah walking around um in the tap room you've got those artifacts and seeing that um i i, I mentioned to you i knew that byron nelson was from the area i didn't know yeah. ben hogan was from here yeah. yeah um one of the things you guys do so well and for those uh, of of you who have not seen a tx bottle um, i'll make sure to link it in the show notes and put it up on instagram as well the the bottling is obviously the most forward facing thing that you guys do. Mm-hmm. I w- want you to describe the bottle in a second and, and the thoughts behind some of those very fine details. Being out here, you've designed this entire experience to be an experience. Yeah. Um, a- everywhere you look, everything that you have here is is so top notch. Um, talk a little bit about the bottle, um, mm-hmm. and then where. Branding is so fuzzy and it's easy yep. to BS it. Yep. You guys nail it. Where did that come from? Is that more you or is that more Troy? Um, did you have someone help you with mm-hmm. that? And it's not, even if you had someone help you with the bottle, it carries through everything that you guys do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, we've worked hard at that and, and it was an evolution, you know, um, it, it, we, I think, stepped into that process like a lot of people might where it's like, wow, this is so cool. We get to create our own brand, and and uh, how fun is that? Well, you quickly quickly realize how uh, consequential those mm-hmm. decisions are, and for us, um, you know, we had a whiteboard with probably three hundred potential names on, mm-hmm. um, so that's where it really began. But you know, we're an incredibly competitive business, and uh, you walk into a liquor store, you walk into any bar, restaurant, uh, you're going to see multiple brands. So we felt like we wanted to stand out, uh, of course. And uh, you know, the the thing we kept saying was. We wanted people to see our brand very quickly and ask the bartender, ask the sales associate, um, "What is that? That mm-hmm. that that's really unique and different." Because um, in our, in in our opinion, um, in the spirits business, some, similar to like wine, 
there, you know, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of similarities in what people uh, are doing, particularly in whiskeys and in um, really trying to um, create brands that look very old. That was mm-hmm. something that uh, we identified. And, um, and in our case, as a Texas distillery and in looking at other brands that emerged as well uh, during the time that, that um, we were going through the process, they were looking very Western. They were looking very, um, in our opinion, kind of dated. And, you know, there was an aha moment for us where we're like, you know what, where do we live and in what time? And we should be contemporary. We shouldn't pretend to be something that we're not in terms of an old established brand or mm-hmm. something hearkening back with uh, icons and fonts and, and those kinds of things that would take people to that place. You know, we don't have that history, so why try to do that? Mm-hmm. So we wanted something contemporary. What we came up with came up with was this very bold vertical orientation of a TX. Um, had a graphic designer that uh, we found over in Dallas uh, who did a great job for us. And, um, you know, it started out as in a vertical orientation, started out in more of a Western font. We didn't like it, uh, almost went with it, though. Uh, and then we came up with this vertical orientation in a very kind of sleek manner mm-hmm. and very simple label. And, and it, you know, we just felt like when we saw it, well, that's it. That, that achieves our goal. Um, so, you know, that's the, a bit of the process is, uh, that I'm simplifying mm-hmm. as agonizing as it was uh, for the label. And so the, the TX, as you described to me many years ago, it's, a, uh, it's like a railroad spike. Yep. And yep. then you've got the silver around the bottom right. for the silver of, of Texas lore. Correct. Correct. So, I mean, if you look at our bottle, I mean, really, um, it's it's uh, like one of your kids. We're so proud of it of course. and and spent um, so much time on really literally every centimeter. Um, and, you know, we wanted to do things that re- reflected or represented where we were from mm-hmm. without being overtly mm-hmm. obnoxious, yep. uh, as, you know, some Texas style can be. Um, but um, creative and subtle almost. And so when you look at um, the bottle in its entirety, there are discoverable elements in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, you know, what we're really known for, uh, I think, is a signature of the packaging is the the leather top. And mm-hmm. that was an idea that we just came up with as wanting to incorporate leather um, into the packaging because, again, we wanted to to do things that represented where we were from, um, but, um, you know, not be, not be, um, obnoxious about it. So, yeah. you know, they're great bootmakers in Fort Worth. And, um, so the leather idea, uh, was really a nod to those folks and mm-hmm. obviously boots and Western heritage and Western lore and Texas in the West. And, uh, we came up with this idea to put leather into the top and fashion it in a certain way. And, um, it was a pretty simple idea honestly it was it's it was hard to uh, execute in a way in building the tops which Troy did himself in his uh, shop at home he's a great woodworker but once we figured that out um, the the interesting part was 
um, figured out how to actually do it, then we needed some leather. So we went to one of the great, um, great old uh, bootmakers in Fort Worth, Texas bootmaker for that matter, uh, called Letty's. And went in and asked them for some scrap leather and, and we kind of explained what we were doing. And, you know, and, and they really, you know, here we were, a non-existent brand. Mm -hmm. uh, they were very gracious in just saying, hey, you want some scrap leather? Here you go. Uh, be on your way. And uh, they gave us a box of kind of these brown and black leather. Um, so we went, ended up doing our first run of production. Um, as a thank you, of course, we took a bottle down to, uh, to Letty's in the stockyards and, uh, it happened that their owner was there, Wilson Franklin, and, uh, we presented him the bottle as a thank you. And of course he had no idea his general manager had given us the leather. Uh, so we explained it all to him and he looked at the top and in a second got it. And he was like, well, all right, uh, this is our leather. And we said, yeah. And he was like, Hey, I, I got an idea. Hold on one second. So he goes into the back comes out with a box of scrap leathers that were from all their exotic skins. So snake skins and lizards and alligators, crocodile, all, all kinds of things. Whatever mm -hmm. they made boots out of yep. uh, was in this box. And in that moment, it took that idea to a whole different level, level mm -hmm. where we could see the application um, uh, and the diversity of tops and the uniqueness of tops. And that began what had really snowballed um, mm -hmm. with people collecting them, looking for different skins, looking for different colors. Um, and so that's been an amazing part of, of the packaging. Um, and then and you mentioned, I'll just um, uh, uh, tell you a story on the silver. It's really on the bottom of the, of the uh, bottle um, is really a nod to um, you know, jewelry, Western jewelry and, um, and even saddlery, that kind of thing. So, um, think of belt buckles and spurs and, and, uh, um, things like that. And then on the neck of our bottle is a piece of canvas and that canvas, what inspired that idea was, um, uh, Fort Worth is the gateway to the West. Mm -hmm. And our idea there was, uh, the chuck wagons and stagecoaches that traveled through, uh, that, you know, the tent, so to speak, uh, that goes over those things. Um, we wanted to represent that. And then, uh, when I think back to our, our first meeting, or we, maybe we'd met before, but when I went out to the Fort Worth, um, distillery facility, um, you actually took, I brought some fabric and you've made me some bottle tops, yeah. which I still have of some of our first shirt fabric. Yeah. Um, and, uh, as you think about it, I'm looking at, um, there's probably 200 bottles of whiskey in this room or bourbon. It really does stand out. I mean, and I, I don't know if that was your intent in the room, as we talked about, it's a highlight of some of your favorite whiskeys and some yeah. of the, the teams. But uh, it, it really does stand out amidst the crowd. And so that is so critical as you talked about it. And one of the unique challenges that you face, um, I was joking, sometimes I think my job's hard. You don't necessarily really sell to the customer. Your right. customer is not the end customer per se. Correct. Because of um, liquor laws and um, distribution challenges and, and so many different states do it in different ways. Yep. You almost never sell the product to the person who's drinking it. 
Uh, yeah, that's right. And probably the the closest we get to doing that is when we're in a store, for example, or maybe sometimes in a in a bar or restaurant, and we get to sample people. And um, but we're, the transaction does not happen uh, through us. Um, now we're doing a little bit of that now here at the distillery mm-hmm. in our store, which. Um, uh, it was only just a couple of years ago the law changed that allowed us to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're we're a couple steps away typically. And uh, I think the first time, yeah, it was the first time I was out at your facility. Um, you couldn't sell it out of Correct. your own facility. Correct. I, I don't think most people understand that. Yeah. Um, most people don't think about the fact that when they buy something like a beer, wine, or liquor, they're basically never buying it from the people who make it. Yeah. Um, and that just changes so many dynamics of of what you do from marketing, from getting your brand out there, and you're trying to influence customers to buy your product, but they're not the ones you're, you're never interacting with them. So. Yeah, you know, that's that's absolutely accurate. And, um, you know, it's a very competitive business Mm -hmm. and you're trying to get in the ear and the eye of uh, the same consumer oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's challenging. It, It is very challenging. So um, one more piece of background, and I I love where we've already gone with this, Um, family, family life. You've got four kids um, and they span quite, quite an age range. So what's the home life like? (laughs) It's busy. It it is busy. Our our oldest is 12 and then 10, eight and five. Um, So we're, we're walking on the coals uh, as a young family, but Mm -hmm. they're amazing, uh, amazing kids. My wife is, uh, Nicole is incredible with them. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're real fulfilled with, uh, <laughs> as active as we are, yeah. uh, every, every day and every weekend. But, um, um, you know, it just it, interesting with the kids and, and kind of what we're talking about and have been talking about today. Um, you know, in deciding to start a new business, we had two kids and the third on the way. And, uh, it was, uh, an interesting time in our lives where, um, you know, as a, uh, as a family, uh, certainly with Nicole and I making a choice to, um, you know, go into clearly uncharted territory for me professionally, uh, and, uh, our family with a lot on the line, as it turned out, mm-hmm. um, you know, that stuff gets complicated and gets, um, yeah. you know, um, uh, there's a, a, a lot to think about when you make decisions like that. So let, let's hop into that. The first, the, we've already gone through quite a few questions, but the first official question is, you say we should go start this yeah. um, concept. Yeah. How long was it until you made your first bottle? And given what you're doing and liquor laws and all mm-hmm. that, it's kind of hard to prototype and play around with something as complex and investment heavy as whiskey. For sure. Particularly given the aging. Yeah. Um, so what was it that got you to a point that you said, even though we've never done this before, and it's going to be years before we technically have our first product to sell, we're going to go do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you launch your put stuff in barrels and you customers can't have it for years. Right. Uh, what did you do in the interim besides <laughs> just make more and kind of twiddle your thumbs waiting to, to get out there? Yeah. You know, um, well, it's of course being patient, but um, anxious, yeah. uh, and um, there, 
I can't even tell you how many days before we had the product to sell, which was, by the way, three years um, that it took uh, from the time Troy and I started working on the business to getting uh, the product out there. And, um, you, you know, so many, many anxious um, uh, days and nights. Um, and, you know, certainly uh, in our case, we really believed in what we were doing. We believed that not only would we be capable of producing a product uh, because we were very diligent about um, learning how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, we, we really believed in the business opportunity as well. So mm-hmm. we were, we were coming at it in, in two different ways. And I think that really helped us because we both had 20 years business experience um, and we didn't have any industry scars either. And I think that's helped yep. us over the years um, where, um, it, you know, where we've now learned people would say to us, well, that's that's the way you do it. That's the way it's always been done. Mm-hmm. And we would say, why? Mm-hmm. why? Why do we need to do it that way? That doesn't make sense to us. And ultimately, we would follow what our instinct was uh, in a lot of times, not every time. And that has proved to be beneficial just to um, look at things differently through a different lens mm-hmm. and how you interact with consumers or your distributor, whatever it may be. Um, so I think that business side of things helped us. Um, you know, when we were starting the business, it's funny, uh, Troy and I have, um, uh, we both have incredibly intelligent wives. And um, both uh, have a finance background, for example. And, you know, when we both went to them separately with this idea, uh, which that that moment came and said, hey, this is what I've been thinking about. Um, what helped me with in, with my wife, she was uh, she had private equity background, so she absolutely knew what to look at, went to business school at Harvard and, and um, was um, a, a, um, a very thorough judge, right? Uh, educated judge. And it made a difference that, that we were, were really prepared. Um, here's the idea, here's why it makes sense. You know, um, and um, here's how we think we can take the risk, a calculated risk, to build a business, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and so that backing up in that moment of our history was, um, um, you know, it was huge to get their support, um, you know, because I say their support because Amber Troy's wife um, getting everybody on board at home is just as important as the two of us coming into work every day thinking how great this idea is. Sure, you know, that's a that's a big difference. Yeah. Um, so when you got started, it was you and Troy. You yep. had a couple people on the technical side because, as you said, you didn't do this before. Right. Um, three years before you can start selling a product. Yeah. And now you're eight, eight or nine years in. Today you've got about 60 people. Yeah. How, how do you define the culture of Firestone and Robertson? And we walked most of the facility and mm-hmm. um, I, y- you can tell, especially as a founder, how the team feels mm-hmm. and you can see people like being here, right? This is a great place okay. for Good. the team. Um, and that, that was across the board. Um, 
How do you define your culture and what do you do to defend that culture, particularly as you grow in this very competitive industry with this very unique sales structure? Yeah, you know, um, we're entrepreneurs. So I think that in a, in a, as an umbrella way to, to describe uh, how we view what we do uh, and have, have done so from day one is an entrepreneurial instinct. Yep. And, but a, a better answer to that, because that's sort of an obvious one, what that means to us is um, trying to f- constantly, daily facilitate ideas. And to, to, to us, ideas are the best capital that you can find. Um, and, and to try to tap into that from what we think is a really talented group um, is, is what's going to propel the company. Mm-hmm. Constant discussion about ideas, constant um, discussion about what we feel is the creative aspect mm-hmm. of what we do. So creativity is essential. I mean, obviously the business mechanics are what they are and uh, you know, you gotta run a, um, a, a very, um, uh, call it a, a very disciplined business, but you know, ideas and creativity, I think is what we believe will separate us from the competition and propel um, the company and, um, facilitate a a culture that will, um, you know, will, will withstand a lot. Yeah. And you've, you've got, you've got a lot to withstand along the way. Um, and some of the challenges that we've discussed in the past, again, based on liquor laws and, um, regulation, you, um, Basically, they measure how many grains of corn are coming in the building. Mm-hmm. So they know how, how much they, meaning um, the authorities, yes, um, they know how much you should make and effectively mm-hmm. um, when, the, uh, when it goes into the barrels, you pay taxes on that Correct. Um, because of, again, the way that the, the laws work. So you're outlaying not just capital for the equipment and the machinery and the labor and the raw material and waiting years to receive cash from that. You're also paying the government in that moment. Um, Thinking about all of those strains and obviously you needed to raise some money to get going as we talked about. And Mm -hmm. I've gotten laughed out of quite a few rooms as well. You want to make shirts (laughs) and you've never done this before. And particularly for myself, I I, um, was talking with one of my team members this morning. I had never had P&L authority yeah. prior to starting the company. Okay. And so that's a real hard thing to convince investors to let you get behind. Right. Um, but in those first years, every dollar for, for me and my wife, um, she worked a real job to quote unquote, keep us afloat as a family. Yeah. Thankfully we didn't have kids at the time. Um, everything went into the business to, to try and make sure that we could just keep going with such a capital intensive business, obviously you needed to raise some money and Mm -hmm. um, you and Troy had had careers before. So you'd you'd had a little bit, uh, hopefully under the, under the pillow, so to say, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you're not going to pay yourself anywhere close to where you were before for a while. What was that time like? Um, How long was it before you felt like I can really start to pay myself as, as I need to, to raise a family and to put stuff away for college and all of that? Uh, first word that comes to mind is stressful uh-huh. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was two years. 
yeah. uh, that both of us went without uh, any paycheck of, mm-hmm. of any kind. Um, and so, um, yeah, I remember it well. I mean, that was a pretty intense period. Was um, was your wife, uh, did she have an outside job as well, or was she CEO of the house? Uh, she was CEO of the house. Yep. Uh, my timing was great. Just when she decided to um, retire mm-hmm. and take care of our two girls, um, I decided to start a new business. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Why not? I, uh, I, when I think back, I got married in April of 2012 and started my, um, started Mizzen and Maine in July of 2012. Okay. And yep. um, it was not... Um, obviously Jen's very, very happy with where we are today and everything. She's been so supportive along the way, but yeah. I like to joke is not what she signed up for. I worked for <laughs> a very, very successful company in Dallas and had a very stable career and, and great prospects to grow. And, sure. um, you know, it just, the, the founder calling was there. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, um, <laughs> when, uh, when you first got that call it paycheck. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's kind of a paycheck, but it's not really a paycheck. Um, what did that feel like? Uh, rewarding, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, because at that point we had really overcome some obstacles. Um, and, uh, you know, with so many question marks that had been in front of us Mm -hmm. for a significant period of time, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it just gratification that we had taken that next, um, significant step as yeah. a company. Yeah. And it starts to feel like this is a real thing. Yeah. I'm not just using other people's money and sacrificing Correct. everything and hopefully it becomes something. Correct. Correct. <clears throat> In all of that stress and that feeling of gratitude along the way, there's definitely going to be people that you look up to from an inspiration mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, could be personal, you know them directly, or could be a, a famous entrepreneur or, or mm-hmm. somebody in that world who most inspired you along the way. Uh, you know, there, yeah, you're right. There are a couple different people I would think of. Um, but, uh, you know, most immediately, I think my dad was, uh, is one source of in- inspiration, um, because he had had a long corporate life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, ultimately when he was about, I want to say 65, um, said I've had enough, uh, but I'm not hanging up the cleats. And he went and bought a bar, having never been in that business before. In, There's the backstory. It yeah, was somewhere there you in go. There. Exactly. Um, it was a bar at the time um, in downtown Frederick, Maryland, uh, close to where he lives. And had never been in the business before. And, um, you know, uh, a, a long story, meaning it's now a 20-year story where um, he's in um, the now bar restaurant every day. Uh, now he's turning 85 this year, uh, checking the menu, talking to the chef, uh, meeting his customers. And uh, he loves it. He, he loves being there every day. And I think it's been a success um, because of his influence, of course, and, and being there every day. And I say it's success where it's now one of the top restaurants in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, What's the name of the restaurant? Uh, Firestones. Um, and, um, and, and now he's he, next to the um, um, uh, restaurant. He's opened a gourmet uh, uh, food market. Uh, he's uh, wow. opened now next to that a raw raw bar. 
Um, and so he's got this little wow. uh, empire, as I as yeah. I joke with him about. But you know, so important, you know, to to um, understand what uh, he's doing because he'd never done it before. Yeah. He he, became, and that is such a hard business. So hard, and you know, just so difficult and challenging mm -hmm. with everything that uh, is involved. And um, you know, I just I, I looked at that because I was watching him for yeah. you know a good ten years. It's like wow, that is he's inspired, he's happy, he's just driven. So how old were you when he was sixty five? Uh, so I would have been uh, about thirty five. Okay, wow, yeah. really cool. Yeah. So um, you know, I, I, that was a great source of in, yep. in, inspiration as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, on the, probably the other end of the scale, um, but an entrepreneur, uh, family re related, uh, was, uh, my great grandfather was Harvey Firestone that started the tire and rubber company, which has grown into being one of, uh, you know, the, at the time leading industrial companies in the world, um, still is a great brand. Uh, it's owned by, uh, Bridgestone which uh, bought Firestone in the late 80s. Um, and, you know, I never knew him, of course. He died in the, in the 30s. But um, there, he's, he wrote some incredible books, and I read those books. And it's meaningful to me, obviously, because it's family and a, a great-grandfather. Um, and the words of wisdom that um, he has from a company he started in 1900, about the basic blocking and tackling, and, and that's what I would describe. It was not um, what what he wrote about in in one very famous book called um, Men in Rubber. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't make it up. Um, it, you know, they were just just basic insights that mm -hmm. he lived by. Um, it's like Dale Carnegie's book. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, still and, so highly relevant. Correct, and and it all comes down to those root. Um, principles, root ideas uh, to pursue. And, and, you know, he was great friends with Thomas Edison. He was great friends with wow. Henry Ford because Firestone tires were on the original Model T. And, um, you know, I have books and pictures from them on these camping trips. They famously went on these trips. Um, and, um, you, you know, so I, I really took a lot of that to heart as I got serious about being, um, an entrepreneur, particularly mm -hmm. not just a, a, a business person. So two, two items on that one. It's funny when you see a name, I, I always had some tangential thought that you might be connected and mm. I, I'd never asked you. Yeah. Um, no, certainly right. you don't go around sharing that. Um, that's, that's absolutely fascinating. And the others, um, have you seen the men who built America on history channel? I have not. Uh, you would very much enjoy it now hearing that even more so. Okay. Um, and it's about um, Ford and Rockefeller and Carnegie and some of those yeah. other okay. um, Titans of industry at the turn of the century and uh, middle 1800s to the turn of the century. Yeah. Um, and what a, what a truly incredible time that was. Yeah. Those, um, those were his peers. That's absolutely amazing yeah. to think about. So yeah. you said he passed away in the thirties. Yeah. Uh, and then well, did your grandfather run the company or was he involved or was he, there he a separation? Was involved. Okay. He, he was in, uh, uh, Harvey had five sons and, uh, each was involved, uh, in the company. And, 
Um, my grandfather ended up running the West Coast operations. Okay. Um, they they wanted him to come back to Akron, where the headquarters um, was, mm-hmm. and uh, run things. But he had been in California for a couple of years and um, kind of learned to enjoy that climate. Yeah, it's a little different. It's a little different. <laughs> he said, he just told his brother, Ray, why, why don't you run it? You, you, why don't you take care of that? That's great. And then you said your dad had a long corporate life. Did he yep. work with the company as well? He did. Okay. He did. He did. Absolutely amazing. Um, fascinating. So um, changing gears, yep. um, how do you stay sane every day? What is it that you do with four kids and very complex business? And, oh, actually, before I forget, my other very critical question was, again, given the complexities of, of liquor laws, mm-hmm. does your dad's restaurant serve TX? <laughs> Can it? Funny, yes. Okay, it does. Uh, so right. we, we will be served uh, there as soon as we open Maryland, which uh, will be before year end. Um, we just haven't, hadn't done that yet. Yeah. Um, but we're now planning on it. So, uh, he's very anxious to, uh, to, to have the, the whiskey up there. And without offending any regulators, are there certain States that you look at and how they operate and you go, ah, it's just not worth it. Um, you know, I, th- I think ultimately you want to be every place, sure. but you pick your spots, yeah. um, and every state, as I think you've mentioned, every state is different. Mm-hmm. It's so complicated. You have the federal um, mm-hmm. regulators, of course, but every state has its own perspective. And, and um, you know, we're dealing in most cases with laws that are post-prohibition. <laughs> They're that antiquated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then typically now everyone has modified those to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, so every, every, every landscape is a little bit different. Yeah. And, you know, our, our strategy, so to speak, has been to not overreach sure. as popular as the product. Is, right. Uh, you got to get got, it right. You got to get it right. You got to know what you're getting into yep. and um, what you're taking on. And, and I would tell you, I mean, it's kind of the obvious, but, you know, where there are more people, it mm-hmm. tends to be more complicated. Sure. Uh, so California is really complicated. New York is complicated mm-hmm. versus, um, you know, some of, say, the contiguous states to, to Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you think about some of these laws are post-prohibition. Mm-hmm. Many of them also have some connection to long before prohibition mm-hmm. and unwinding who can do what, when, on what hour of what yeah. day, yeah. Um, right. on what holiday. And sure. it's just mind boggling to think about. Well, uh, the one holdover is certainly the tax revenue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they didn't mess that one up. They didn't mess, they that, didn't one mess up. that one up. Um, so going back to staying sane, what, what do you do to maintain sanity? You know, I mean, it's all got to be a balance, um, and it it, it sounds um, cliche, but you you never get too high, you never get too low, and um, you know, I think for Troy and I, we just. We're, we just are working on the business daily, of course, and the daily challenges. But I think what um, keeps us sane, to use your word, is, you know, to always have a clear perspective of where we're going. Um, and that means where we're going three and five years down the line. 
um, where we want to be and why, uh, related to your um, uh, expansion question, really. Mm-hmm. Where we're going to go, why, um, what, what products will we have in hand, um, what will the company look like at that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in our business, interestingly, when you're aging whiskey five years, uh, typically, I mean, you're really forced to have that um, yeah. mentality. So that's in a way a good thing. But, um, yeah, we were talking earlier about some, you, you have some institutional investors and mm-hmm. for most, most investments that institutional investors make, they have a four to seven year horizon right. and your, your product isn't ready for typically yeah. years. And yeah. some, in some cases five, five plus, five. um, and so that's a, that's a very different type of mindset from a planning perspective. It's a different mindset from a planning um, perspective, from an investment standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the, the timeline and the horizon is entirely different. And just add to that now our new facility here where we are making exponentially more whiskey a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and where's that whiskey going to go in mm-hmm. five years? What, what, what are the sales channels? What markets? Uh, how are we going to support that effort? Um, so we, we spend a lot of time on that. How about your, your day-to-day routine? Um, you were sitting at a golf course, and mm. we were joking earlier, um, how many men's dreams involve owning a distillery on a golf course is pretty, it's probably a pretty significant number, especially those listening to this, but you yeah. don't get to play a lot. I, I've heard from a lot of them. Uh, believe me. Uh-huh. So what is your, um, what is your kind of day-to-day routine look like? As you, so you think about, you've maintained your business sanity by having that healthy sense of perspective, but you got a lot going on every day as well, personally. Yeah, we do. So it starts with taking the kids to school, uh, which is great. You know, getting them up in the morning, getting them fed with uh, along with Nicole. But, um, you know, we actually the first couple of years with our two oldest um, had them going on the bus. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, you know, to drop them off was, a, you know, a minute drive to yeah. uh, the bus stop. And, you know, and then there would be days where I would take him to school. And I, I remember telling, telling Nicole, I was like, you know, that time in the car is really nice um, it, because it, it's not every day. But, you know, I did it enough where I would we would have a really good, interesting conversation. You know, everyone's relatively fresh most days um, in the morning and kind of chatty and and. So um, we stopped doing the bus and it was yeah. the best decision I think uh, we made. And now I've got all four of them for the first time in the car uh, each morning. And so it's, yeah. you know, 20, 25 minutes um, and uh, love that time with them. So um, that's great. Then I go from school to, uh, to the distillery and, you know, what I do because I enjoy it, but I think it's also really uh, important is and and interesting in, in what we've built here is I get to walk the floor, so mm-hmm. to speak, and I get to go into the still house yep. and actually see what we're making, talk to the guys, um, how are we doing on the production, where are we with the distillation? Um, you know, I can smell it, I can hear it, I can, you know, touch yep. it. Um, and then I can walk down to the bottling line and talk to that team and, and see what's going on for the day and be really close to mm-hmm. our product. And I think that's very important because then I get to the office and it's all the things that, um, you know, you deal with when, um, 
um, you know, when it's your company, you know, and Troy, um, where you're dealing with the headaches, you're dealing with the administrative stuff and, and, um, you know, whatever you have to, um, uh, take care of. So, um, that's generally the routine. When you think about, um, we were talking earlier on the, um, the consistency of the product that, you know, you put something in a barrel and five years later it comes out you got to make sure that that's right. Given you want a consistent product over time, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you've got people that are very sophisticated and technical, but yep. there's an art to this. Yep. How do you think about keeping them excited and engaged on when you talk about that routine? I think about uh, wine, where mm-hmm. every you know every year is different, and the blends of a how they define a cabernet can change as long as it's still close enough and. Um, every year is different. Every varietal is different. There's a lot of excitement there and therefore their own challenges yep. versus making that consistent product as amazing as it is. It's very consistent. Yep. Do you find that as a challenge for your team? Well, you, you know, it can be um, because it, it can become uh, the routine, so to speak. But yep. I, I, I think what makes a difference for us is um, every day is a little bit different because each batch of mash mm-hmm. uh, that we create may have a little bit of oddity to yep. it. The 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 still, um, and this was certainly uh, more the case uh, downtown. The stills might operate a little bit differently, um, and so you really are hands on, mm-hmm. and you know you're not just making a widget, right? And um, you know knocking out. Um, uh, screws or nails, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, a constant need to be evaluating what you're producing. Absolutely. Um, and so that um, that's important. I think uh, keeps it's where a lot of that variety comes in. Absolutely keeps people engaged. And then the follow up of of the product as well as we uh, judge it by sense sensory and mm-hmm. uh, taste. Um, you know, and we compare to what we did the month before, the week before. Uh, that that keeps people engaged as well. So even though you your office is a distillery on a golf course, um, getting out of the office is really helpful. If you uh, could go somewhere for a month, I always find this mm-hmm. a really interesting question for mm-hmm. different different people, different entrepreneurs. Yeah, if you can go for away for a month, and um, you know, Troy has it covered here. The team has it covered here. Mm-hmm. You're not worrying about business. Yeah, where where do you go? Where does the family go? What do you do for a month away from it all? Uh, you know, I probably, well, where we go, when we go on vacation, we love Colorado. So we get to the mountains and, um, summer or winter or both, uh, both, both. And, uh, you know, I've been going out to Colorado for years, went to the university of Colorado in Boulder. Mm. So, um, love it out there. And that's kind of a, a space to really, um, recharge, uh, in a lot of ways, but, you know, I mean, if I had that much more time, certainly would travel and, um, uh, I've never been to Asia. I would go to Asia. And, you know, if I was to do it purposefully, um, you know, to go someplace for what reason, um, you know, I think you can get a lot of ideas. Ideas mm-hmm. are so important, uh, as I mentioned earlier, in, you know, looking at how cultures do different things. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to learn about that in a, in a, uh, a, a material way. Because uh, you never know what that can do to Absolutely. what you bring back to your family, what you bring back to your business. Absolutely. Um, so uh, we 
have shared these stories over the years, and we talked quite a bit about it earlier, but if you could distill it down, what do you think the, distill it down, yeah. bad pun, um, <laughs> what do you think the biggest sacrifice has been um, in starting uh, Firestone and Robertson? Biggest sacrifice? Um, you know, I think, um, uh, I think it was those first couple of years mm -hmm. and the anxiety that certainly I had, but um, the, the anxiety that I had that also related to an understanding of what I was putting my wife through. Mm -hmm. um, because it was, you know, you just didn't know. Right. Yep. And um, as, as I mentioned, uh, two kids, a third one on the right, a third one on the right way, right as we were in the heat of the startup from mm -hmm. fundraising to, to getting it going. And, you know, that was stressful on her. Um, and, you know, that's uh, it, 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 that certainly weighed on me um, and the what ifs of um you know what that could do if we we um didn't accomplish our goals and mm -hmm. you know there there were times where you know we were real deject dejected and you know troy and i had to buck up and we we're like man failure is not an option what are we going to do we're going to figure it out right and we did and yeah. we did but you know that that that's what i remember as the most stressful uh because once we got that done as a business you know in terms of the capital mm -hmm. um you know, our experience was um, uh, so rewarding because you know there there are the the risks that we were taking, the the anxieties that were created, um, of course, about creating a brand, creating a product that you just don't know. Um, and but you know those are a little bit more in your control, right? Um, and, you know, uh, so when we uh, got to the point where we could uh, make those choices, got to the point where we could release the product and we began to see the product uh, embraced mm -hmm. and become so successful so quickly, um, we never looked back. And, um, you know, we work hard, but really from that point on, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you feel there was a moment that it all changed? Is, was there one thing that happened, a press mention, uh, uh, an engagement with somebody or a, a new distributor partnership where like, it, it's not, okay, this is happening, but we're on a rocket ship now and we need to continue to build it as we fly. Yeah, two things. Uh, I would say we heard from our distributor that um, th that they were getting calls from stores, uh, the the liquor stores where we were first distributed. We weren't in any bars and restaurants, and they were starting to um, create lists for people as waiting lists uh, for people which um, were got to be to three hundred people deep. And that wanted to buy your that product. That wanted to buy our product. That's and awesome. the stores had never seen anything like it. Our distributor, um, uh, which was Glaciers at the time, now Southern Glaciers, um, they couldn't really recall seeing a phenomenon like it. So that's 
absolutely in my mind. Um, what year was that? That would have been uh, 2012, uh, June of 2012. When you're just getting ready to start releasing product. We, we launched June 1. So this was a couple weeks later. I remember this. And yeah, and so it was tied together where um, really before we got uh, learned about the list, our the, uh, Glaziers was calling and say and and said we need more product and um, we're like let oh, me boy, go back in time that, that's that's a good thing um, <laughs> well, let me go back in time and put more in the barrels yeah, yeah well um, we we figured out a way yeah. at, because we had enough stock right but what uh, this was just sort of interesting so. Uh, in May of that year, we're doing our first bottling. So we call our distributor, say, hey, how many cases should we prepare? And um, they said, well, uh, new brand, whiskey, summertime, you, you know, for the next few months, why don't you do a couple hundred cases? And we, these were six bottle cases. We said, yeah, okay, so we, we'll do that. Um, we sold over 1,500 cases in five weeks. So they started calling back saying, can you do more? Can you do more? And at that time, there were four people in the company, uh, and one was a dog. <laughs> Literally, it was, uh, Mirko was our watchdog. Uh, I remember. Do you remember Mirko? Yes, yeah. yes. Um, because of copper thieves, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the fear of copper thieves. Yeah, absolutely. So the police told us, you wouldn't believe how effective a dog is at night. So we, we literally went and found a, a police dog that uh, we bought. Just hung out at the distillery. Yeah, just hung out there. Still, he's now here as well. Um, but, um, we, um, you know, at that time it, we were, we were building the cases, we were filling the bottles, we were, we were doing anything, doing anything and everything that was required. And it was a great moment because these calls started to come in for more product. And so we were down there, you know, at the distillery for 48 hours at a time. And, you know, you asked about a kind of a gratifying moment, a rewarding moment though that that's absolutely one where, you know, we're thinking, wow, they like our product. They like something mm -hmm. that we've created. And um, we're exhausted, but we have adrenaline and we're just pumping it out. And uh, um, the other thing that I was going to mention as a, as a moment to your question that I remember was the way, and this is, you know, such a contemporary um, observation, but the way we saw our social media behave, mm -hmm. where we were following the conversation. At, at that time, it was just Facebook. We were following the conversation about how people were reviewing the product and probably more dramatically, the conversation they were having about where you can get it. Um, what stores you could get it yeah. and where in, in DFW. And then also we started to see the conversation about um, what tops you could get. And that was our first real uh, insight mm -hmm. into the power of that particular uh, aspect to our, our packaging. Yep. Talk about colors and skins and, you know, uh, all those kinds of things. So that was, that was really memorable. I remember when, uh, when, when did the bourbon go public? That was uh, December 10th of 2016. 16. Yeah, that was, it was right after my son was born. Um, and uh, I, I don't remember who it was that brought me a bottle of the TX bourbon, okay. but it was, it was a big deal that I could get one. I, I, I think a friend of mine works in, in the distributor business. I think it might've been him um, that, cause it was, it was really hard to get. 
Yeah. When, when the bourbon hit the market, it was yeah. hard to find. It's very, um, very allocated. That is a really special thing to be able to achieve. Uh, well, think of it. Think of, of this as well. So we started making the bourbon in February of 2012. And, you know, we're rolling the dice, right? We hope mm -hmm. we got it right. Um, and we just, we saw it get better and better after each summer, actually, each year, because uh, the heat is very important to, to maturing whiskey. But um, my point is, is that when we did one social media post, hey, we're going to start selling the bourbon from the distillery before it goes to our distributor uh, to go into stores the, the following Monday. So um, this was a Saturday. We did a post earlier in the week. Um, from 12 to 4, we're going to sell uh, the bourbon first bottles. And of the 300 cases that we had prepared for our distributor, we pulled about 300 bottles um, and, you know, we thought 300 people showing up on a Saturday in That's, December would be a pretty big deal. Yes. Yeah, it would be a big deal. It was 20, 30 degrees out. Um, and, uh, and so I remember it, uh, I woke up that Saturday and we had started to see a little chatter on social media uh -huh. and I was like, oh, I wonder who's going to, if anyone's down there. So about six in the morning, I drove down and there were 10 people in line. I thought, oh boy, that's interesting. So um, went home, changed, and uh, because I was like in my sweats, uh, rolled out of bed, um, went and got a bunch of coffee, uh, a bunch of bagels and donuts, took them down. Uh, and by that time, there were probably 30 people in line. Wow. Uh, and it ultimately grew to um, when the police came inside where uh, Troy and I and Rob Arnold, our head distiller, we were signing bottles for people. Um, when the police came in and said, you know, there's probably about 2,000 people wrapped around the building and into the neighborhood. Um, we're going to need to shut this down at sunset. We're like, oh my God, you got to be kidding me. Uh -oh. <laughs> so, I mean, th there was a- one, I knew it was big. I didn't know it was that big. Yeah. Uh, so think of that. Something you, you made in 2012. Yeah. Fast forward almost five years and 2,000 people show up to celebrate with you. It was the, the coolest day that I think um, we could ever imagine. I, I have chills hearing you describe that um, because of what it means to you and, and to your team. Um, but also just for those listening to, to conceptualize started in 2012 and you started selling or, or 2010 10. started selling your product. You talked about those, uh, that list in June of 2012. Yep. That was for the original product, that, right? For the uh, original product, the whiskey. Yeah. But you just mentioned you started bottling your bourbon in February of 2012. So we were distilling the Sorry, bourbon. Distilling, distilling, yeah, distilling. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So you're you're putting it into the barrels yep. in, in February of 2012. Yep. It, you hadn't started selling your first actual product in all reality. Correct. And you said, let's let's go ahead and invest in five years from now. Right. The, yeah. the, yeah. the stones to go after that yeah. is, is really, really something. Because yeah. um, certainly if you had blown out your, your waiting list and everything was amazing and you, you learned from that for about a year and then said, okay, let's go. Mm -hmm. That's an understandable process. Mm -hmm. uh, but you've waited years. You yep. have uh, a lot on the line. You said, let's, let's put our 
let's put our heads down and, yeah. and go, go for what's next. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, uh, it's, uh, it, it's the, you know, it's our mission. Uh, yep. We wanted to make a world-class whiskey, world-class yep. bourbon, compete at the highest level. Um, it's our vision for the brand that we want to compete uh, globally with, you know, the best that come from Kentucky, Tennessee, and then, then of course, other whiskeys produced um, around the world. Um, and, you know, that, that was the first step in uh, that mission. Yep. Um, and it takes time. It takes time. It takes a, an acceptance of a ton of risk. Mm -hmm. And you got to have the stomach for it. So that's the, you, I think you just touched on it, but where do you see this in 10 years? Well, I did. I did. We, we've got a big vision for our company, yep. uh, for our brand. Um, what we've built at Whiskey Ranch is, um, in, in that respect, the first step in building a global brand. Mm -hmm. um, because if you want to do that, you've got to have, obviously, the juice. Yeah. You've got to have the whiskey to um, ship around the world. And so that's what we're doing here. So great. If you could tell yourself one thing back in 2010. Mm where this is, you're, you're doing this, you're not researching, you're, you've started. What would you tell yourself looking back here in October of 2018? Um, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, You know, um, there's there's probably a number of things that um, that come to mind, but um, and it's hard. I guess what I'm what I'm thinking about is the things that, in in hindsight, you know, seem obvious. But um, you know, to um, to to be patient, to be thorough, to um, you, you know, be be so focused on the details and, and, and I think we were, so, I mean, I, I feel like we, we have done some of these Just things. It's a reinforcement of, it's, some, a, it's yeah. a reinforcement, I think, but, um, you know, because it's hard now to fast forwarding, um, you yeah. know, eight years to say, to, to realize it's going to all be okay. Mm -hmm. And that absolutely isn't the case at the time sure. when, uh, the pucker factor is so great. <laughs> Um, way to describe it. Yeah. And so to, to now say, oh, you, you, you know, just be, be patient, relax and, you know, enjoy that process. Um, I don't think is, is fair. Yeah. Um, but, um, it, you know, so, uh, I don't know. That's a, it's, it's hard in that respect. That's fair. How about perhaps a more pointed one? Um, what is your single biggest regret? Hmm. Biggest regret. Um, not bottling the bourbon in 2010. <laughs> That's an no, easy one. No, yeah. Um, no, we're, we're pretty, pretty confident in that decision. Yeah. Um, you know, I think in, it, it, it wouldn't necessarily be now in the experience that we've had with Firestone and Robertson and, and the distillery, but um, perhaps from previous experience um, is to be patient, to be thoughtful, um, with people and, um, with 
the uh, with business development, call mm-hmm. it, uh, and and the path that you're on. Um, you know, I, I think I was earlier in my career so impatient, and um, you know that leads to bad decisions. Um, and um, you know, and I think I, I would regret what uh, what that caused. Is there uh, is there one decision that um, has has stuck with you that you would have done differently? It's okay if there isn't. I just yeah, no, I don't think there is. I don't think there is. That's a good place to be. Yeah. Um, what brings you the most joy every day? Um, you know, I'm so satisfied, Kevin. I mean, I'm, it's really I'm in a in a blessed, lucky place um, uh, because family life is awesome. Um, and that's certainly first for, um, for Nicole and I, um, you know, first for me with her and then the kids, um, and then, you know, what we do out here and the people we do it with, um, is just been fantastic. Um, and, and that starts with Troy. Uh, we've got a great, great partnership and, um, you know, I didn't give a lot of detail on that, but you know, a partnership can make or break a business, Mm -hmm. right. As, uh, probably most people know. And the two of us took a risk on each other. I mean, we knew one another It's just kind of neighborhood social friends, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's a big risk to take on each other. It's huge. It's huge. And, um, and you just don't know until you really get into the trenches Mm -hmm. with somebody, um, uh, that you're going to see eye to eye, that you're going to respect one another, that you're going to, uh, listen to one another and, um, and, think, and make each other better and make each other better. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, so, um, that's an awesome thing. And, um, I feel like we've created a biz- business that's a lot bigger, a lot better, uh, than, um, you know, certainly if either one of us had done it on his own, uh, it would be. So I feel, uh, just very grateful for that. And then the, the team that we've got around us mm-hmm. uh, that have now built the company, helped us build it uh, in every way. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, most of the people now have been with us uh, from our bottling line to Rob as our head distiller um, from the very, very early days. So we're all uh, in this together. It's pretty special. It, it is. And, um, you know, we make it happen together, but, you know, a lot of, what are the just the basic blocking and tackling, of course, of of packaging and production those folks are doing every day and they're doing it perfectly. That's all very good. How about your most embarrassing professional moment? Um, oh, yeah, that's easy. And that's easy, actually. Um, so just after college, uh, I went back to D.C. where I grew up. And uh, I got a job as a advance man with President Bush 41. And um, so advance man is, is really kind of cool. You go into different cities, sometimes in town, sometimes out of town, out of country, wherever it may be, and just basically get logistics yep. set up for uh, the president and um, the entourage, mm-hmm. which is significant. So the first trip I was on was actually coincidentally in Houston, and he was going to an Astros game to throw out the first – no, sorry. No, it wasn't Houston. Excuse me. It was um, – uh, to the Rangers game. It was in Dallas. Uh, so we flew into, uh, Dallas coincidentally. 
And um, was this when W was an owner in the team? Uh, I think it was just before just then. before, okay. Yeah. Um, and so we had been here about a week getting everything ready. And, you know, I was a pretty junior guy. And so they, we, I can't remember the hotel downtown where the press was uh, going to be staying and was the press room and the ballroom. And they instructed me to um, create effectively a path for the press that was vi a visual path where they would know where to walk to mm -hmm. get into the ballroom. And the idea was to um, Xerox um, eight and a half by 11 paper with arrows on it and naturally mark, mark yep. the way right so everyone agreed that that would be uh, pretty easy so i was going to be the best path maker they had ever seen right so um i xeroxed it's just a i mean a, a whole uh, ream of paper so put those out uh, enough of them which of course it didn't um nearly take anything what uh, that what i had in my folder so had that laid out, we all go to the airport, we're on the tarmac and we're there waiting and the press is there and, and the audience is there, the, greeter, the greeters the, and the motorcade is pulled up, every, everything. And so we've been there a week thinking about the president and taking care of every you know, detail. And he emerges from the plane, of course, to lots of applause and, and um, uh, shouts. Uh, which I'm participating in, in as well. So I forget that the folder is under my arm oh, no. and lift up my arms to clap. The folder drops to the tarmac and I'm telling you 300 pieces of paper with arrows. shot up in the air yep. with arrows and whipped down the entire runway. The president Everyone, Secret Service, everyone <laughs> looks, what the hell is going on? And it's like, I mean, it was like one of those snow globes, right, in our little area. And uh, so you wear this, these earpieces, yeah. you know, which is, makes you feel very co oh, cool yeah, in your Secret Service. I mean, the screaming that was in my ear, you, I mean, you, I can't Did even they know describe it. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I was the okay. arrow guy. <laughs> so, I, I, it was uh, it was humiliating, embarrassing. Did, you know, did they no. fire you? Uh, no, they didn't. They uh, okay. didn't fire me. Okay. But um, there's not uh, a lot of room for error it, dealing no, with the president. No, that was an awkward moment. Oh my gosh! So did was there any connection to? Did 41 ever know that you did this? No. Okay. No. That, that, that actually could be a fun, fun, funny thing that 20 years later is like, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, um, it, it would be. Awesome. Uh, it would be. Um, uh, do you expect to be doing this, Firestone and Robertson, for the rest of your life? 100%. That's really cool. It's just the best. That's great. How do you want to be remembered? Hmm. Um, you know, I think um, personally um, that we've created a, a, a great business for our community. Uh, we've created a lot of jobs. We've created, a, I think, what we believe is and, you know, others believe is a, a really good product, mm -hmm. of course. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think the, the, the roots of that and this is a multi-generational kind of business. Um, aging product like we do that 
um, you know, people will remember, and it's it's not me. It's it's Troy and I um, together with a, a vision uh, in creating something that um, is now bigger than ourselves for yeah. sure. Um, but uh, you know, it's pretty cool to to think about something that you create, um, sharing sharing it with people, seeing them enjoy it, and um, you know. And, and honestly, what we've set the stage for will be sharing a product that, you know, in 20, 25 years, people, you know, we're going to be making largely the same thing, I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, that there'll be a link to that. Yeah. Um, and, and we can kind of perpetuate um, our, our own legacies that way. It's kind of neat. Pretty special. Yeah. Thus concludes the serious part of the interview. Okay. All right. The serious part of the discussion. Good. Um, some quick tactical questions. Uh, where can people, obviously they can ask their bartenders if, if yeah. they carry TX bourbon or TX whiskey. Um, if they're not sure, you have on your website, you can find where it's carried, right? We do. We do. Okay. And what's your website? Uh, it's frdistilling.com www of course frdistilling.com and i don't think i'm subject to any legal disclaimers but you must be 21 or older to review the website yep, yep. and 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 yes Got exactly it. um and uh the whiskey ranch out here mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. south of fort worth so not generally open for the public but there are ways that people can play well we you know we now started public tours yep. uh, about three weeks ago um thursday friday and saturday mm-hmm. i think they're at uh, 12 and two thirty. Mm-hmm. you sign up online um great. it's a great tour we really get into the weeds about um you know uh what we produce and how we produce our mm-hmm. whiskeys uh, so I think people will enjoy that. And I'm not actually sure if it's the same price everywhere, but how much are your bottles? Typically, you'll see the whiskey um, in Texas for about 32 to 35. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bourbon is more like 45 to 48. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in 15 states now, um, mostly in the southeast regions, except for uh, New Jersey and um, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico and uh, Nevada. What's the social media handle for the company? Uh, hashtag TX Whiskey. TX Whiskey. And then do you guys have an Instagram account or it's just following the hashtag? Just following the hashtag. Got it. Um, and between bourbon and TX Bourbon and TX Whiskey, which do you drink on a more frequent basis? Uh, <laughs> you know, um, probably the whiskey uh, yeah. more frequently. Um, it's hard. It's, it's kind of like, which, which child do you love more? Right. I I mean, um, but for me, um, one thing that I, I, um, certainly, uh, am aware of, um, is the proof Mm -hmm. and, um, and I, and I drink them different, uh, you know, each whiskey, different places, different time, different time of year, you know, all those things come into play with my personal preference. Um, our whiskey is 82 proof. The bourbon's 90 proof. Um, so the bourbon's, you know, more alcohol in it. Um, and it just depends on how I want to drink, you know, sure. uh, a couple cocktails by the grill. I'll probably drink the whiskey, mm-hmm. uh, versus, you know, um, the bourbon, um, it's more of a, a classic cocktail or something. If you're drinking it, uh, with no, w- without a cocktail, just drinking yep. it straight. Do you do rocks or, or neat? I do. I like, you know, I've got um, those, uh, I think William Sonoma sells them. You can get these like block ice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like those. Got it. 
And if you're not drinking TX bourbon or TX whiskey, mm -hmm. what's your drink of choice? Um, probably wine. I'll yeah. drink a, a, a like red wine. What about a different whiskey, bourbon, or scotch? What are you drinking? You know, I'd always been fan, a, a fan of um, Maker's Mark. Yeah. Um, love makers, love um, their 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 products. Um, the family, the Samuels family, is amazing. Yep. Uh, they helped Troy and I out quite a bit as we were learning the ropes. Oh, that's great! So I have a, a real allegiance to them. They yeah. are the most uh, gracious people that you could ever imagine. Yeah, good people. Yep. All right, so rapid fire questions. Okay. Short, sweet answers. Whatever right. comes to mind. I'll try. How many hours of sleep a night do you get? Uh, try to get about six. Uh, what would you use the gene editing technology CRISPR for? And to clarify, because I've gotten some very confused answers. You can't make yourself taller and you can't fly. The rules of physics apply. But you can edit your genes so it would change you in that moment. <laughs> okay. Okay. Repeat that again. Sorry. What would you use the gene editing technology yeah. CRISPR for? CRISPR for, um, and you can't change your, you, you can't grow taller, right? It's, it's your DNA as you are today. So the obvious answers for some folks are if they had a history of cancer or something mm -hmm. that you can kind of edit that out. And I've heard some people say, I would change whatever it is that makes me need to sleep. So I didn't have to worry about sleeping. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I would change my ability to um, speak languages. Mm. Um, you know, just I always unlock that. Yeah. I you like know, I, I always seem to struggle with it, but I just think it's the coolest thing. It is. It's fascinating to watch people switch between them. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite fiction and nonfiction book? So... Um, it's a great writer, uh, I would say, answer it this way. Um, uh, Dick Francis mm -hmm. is a great writer that I seem to uh, enjoy. Uh, Newt Gingrich, uh, believe it or not, has a series of books on American history. Yeah, that great books. I absolutely love. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of all the Ludlum thriller books, uh, I enjoy those. Thanks. Uh, what, is, what music do you listen to most? The most uh, seems to be in the car, uh, listening to the XM, and uh, my kids would tell you um, Tom Petty nice. um, is most frequently on. What is your wake-up drink of choice? Coffee. Black coffee. One choice for your wind-down drink of choice? Um, wind-down drink of choice uh, would be TX bourbon. Bourbon. Uh, what would your last meal be? Um... Pad Thai. Nice. Do you have any um, major pet peeves? I don't think so. No. Do you listen to podcasts? Uh, sometimes, yeah. What's your favorite podcast? Yeah. Um, there's a murder mystery one. I'm forgetting the title of it. Serial? Uh, Serial. Yeah, Thank you. Good. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, what do you think your percent of your monthly household budget is on Amazon? Oh my God. Uh, yeah, probably about uh, 75%. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there one TV show that you could watch over and over again? Um, Seinfeld. Nice. Uh, do you have a favorite article of clothing? Mm, golf shirt. Do you love or hate cardio? Love cardio. Would you rather fight off 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? 
one horse-sized duck. We're trending in that direction for the the overall podcast guests. Uh, do you have one favorite destination to travel? You mentioned this earlier. So what city in Colorado? Uh, vale. Beautiful. Uh, and what is the best gift that you've ever received? Mm. Well, I would say uh, best gift, and I'll, I'll make that plural, because the cards that my kids make on Father's Day it's pretty special. Unbelievable. That's pretty special. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for a wide ranging, um, awesome conversation. We're here in this beautiful boardroom surrounded again by um, just a beautiful selection of, of, of whiskeys and bourbons. And um, you can probably hear some music in the background. It's a working facility. So uh, thank you for taking some time out of your day and yeah. sharing a little bit more about it. It's great. And, thank you. Uh, we'll look forward to continuing to see this awesome growth journey. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Kevin S. Lavelle, and you can also go to founders15.com for show notes and other episodes. Thank you. Thank you.